Thank you for joining us. This is episode 57 of Amateur 3D Podcast. And Andy is tearing apart his basement while I say this. Um, I it is a podcast by amateur printers for amateur printers, where we share our thoughts and experience. Our panelists this week are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Andy Cottom and Kevin Buckner. And Chris apparently slept in. No big deal. He's missing out on my home improvements here, though. I mean, oh. g- given how things have been going, I, I could pretend to be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a tired boy. It's all right. I'm sure he's got a good reason for missing. We'll give him that. He's, the unfortunate... he's probably printing something very important at the moment. So, The unfortunate thing is, this is the most convenient time for me. <laughs> and I really yeah. don't want to change our recording time. I completely agree with you. This works out really well for me, too. But, and Chris, um... unfortunately, <laughs> the reason it's unfortunate is Chris is up all night because he works all night. And yeah. uh, this happens. So yeah. we may have to actually discuss it. Somewhere not on the air, I guess. <laughs> that works. It's all good, though. We'll miss him. Yeah, about as much as we missed you last week. Oh, I feel so loved. Oh, it's so great to be missed. I'm glad to hear that. You definitely <laughs> took that different from how I meant it, but that's okay, too. That's that's the only way to get by being your friend, my friend. <laughs> oh, oh, I see how it is. I, I, I'm, I'm the asshole, and Andy's the... Uh, no, Chris is the peacemaker. Andy is the... Uh, <laughs> The know-it-all. He definitely knows everything. At least he's vocal about knowing everything. Kevin's the one that actually knows it all, and he doesn't say (laughs) anything hardly. Yes. He he knows better to to listen than to speak. I wish I could learn that. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. But it is what it is. That's character flaws for you. So, Andy, since uh, you've got two weeks' worth of updates... (laughs) You want to go first? <laughs> Absolutely. I have done quite a bit over the past uh, couple weeks here. Uh, most of it revolving around my big fan project I keep on talking about all the time. Um, there's a lot that I have failed on over and over and over to learn how to make my own circuit boards, programming my own microcontrollers to a good quality level and all that. And, and right now with my project, I came across... Um, Let's see here. I, I got my housing print for it, and I think I showed that to you guys. That kind of came out pretty nice, uh, my yeah. housing and the faceplate for it. I did that last night, um, and so it's ready to go. I think I'm ready to go with this particular board. This is the second board that I've created. It's got 70 solder pins, and that's 70 holes to drill. So it kind of it kind of sucks when you have to redo it from that, when you have to iterate from that place because it's a lot of work you know it takes me a good 20 minutes to drill a board and that's like constantly flexing your hands with the little minute motions and stuff and it's it's uncomfortable to do Uh, but the last one i did i wound up uh having a trace uh bridge and uh shorted out my board i pushed 12 volts into an analog pin and they don't like that 
So I let out a lot of the magic smoke and even burnt a hole inside of the, the, the IC itself. It was kind of a, <laughs> a neat little one, a neat failure and still seems to function except for that pin and a couple of other surrounding, I think surrounding it physically inside the chip. I think it toasted quite a bit around it, but didn't toast anything too important. Either way, it's huh. probably not a chip. I didn't even bother unsoldering it from the board, but I did unsolder the rest of the components so I can reuse them. But uh, today, or last night, I thought I was doing pretty good. I was starting to make my own ribbon cables. Um, I uh, just got a tool to be able to um, crimp JT connectors i think is what they're called the little white connectors mm -hmm. and that made it a lot easier gosh for the last couple of days i was trying to put those together with just a pair of needle nose and that was not working well but um now that i got the proper tool um they're really easy to make which is kind of nice but after i got all that done last night i threw a couple pictures of you guys out of excitement because i i finally got it working off the board with the display screen and with the controller hooked up to it, um, being able to navigate the menus and stuff without it connected to the computer in any way. And things were working out pretty darn good. But um, uh, other than that, uh, sorry, my brain just leaked out of my head. Um, other than that, uh, sorry, a lot of stuff going on down here. Um, other than that, we went and took the... Um, God, where was I going with this thought? I apologize, guys. I don't know. You were just talking really... about how much you love your new ribbon cable maker? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I got those produced and uh, working well. Um, and then last night I left it running to see, to make sure it would work long time without resetting or whatnot. And when I woke up this morning... It was like all the buttons were being held down all at once and things just were not working on it anymore. I discovered one of the problems I was doing is um, I was using enamel paint for the solder mask, uh, which is, well, I was using enamel paint for the to etch the board. So I would I would paint the entire board. I would use a laser cutter to, you know, etch off the design in the board and then I'd throw it in the acid. And then I would take, and instead of washing off the board with acetone, like I see everybody do, I decided to use that as the solder mask. And so I sprayed it again with another coating of enamel paint and, um, and then used the laser cutter to uh, strip off the paint off the contacts and or off the pads and that seemed to work really good and this i mean the enamel paint wasn't the greatest for solder for soldering nearby but it didn't really bubble up unless it had a lot of heat on it so it was working pretty good as a solder mask sure and uh, last night i started having a problem with the uh, the reset pin on it was being pulled down and I thought the internal resistor on my microcontroller my the pull-up resistor might have been failing or something like that so i added another pull-up resistor to it and it seemed to function fine after that but when i woke up this morning it's like all the buttons were being pushed down and so i i tested some resistance between unused pins on the board and uh on the microcontroller and found out that on an open microcontroller that's not soldered to anything on these dev boards i get x amount of resistance in the milliohms range but when I tested on my board with unconnected pins, I mean, they're still soldered onto the board, but that pin doesn't go anywhere. It's, there's no trace connected to it. Um, I get 
kiloohm level resistance, like around 10 to 20 kiloohms of resistance between pins, where milliohms of resistance through the chip was, you know, originally found. So my enamel apparently is electrically conductive as it sets or as it cures, or maybe as it stays powered up, it starts to gain in conductivity. I don't know. Either way, um, today before the podcast, I sat down with some acetone and stripped all the paint off the board, and uh, my resistance went way up again, uh, pretty close to where it is on an open chip. So I'm sure there's still some little bits of paint there, little films, but it's all within a working range of my board. So a lesson learned there. There's a reason why people don't leave enamel paint on the board after etching it, and I got to get a proper mask for it. So, and that I haven't played with, but it shouldn't be hard. I'll have to double check to make sure that the mask can be etched off with the laser cutter, um, because I don't want to use the normal methods of doing it, where you um, print your design on a uh, transparency and then use UV light to cure the board and that transparency masks out your pads that's all kind of a pain in the butt looking i would rather just put it on the whole board and then throw it back in the laser cutter and just let it etch out the pads for me that's been working really really well so um, i think that you and i found the same video actually maybe um that was a fun video for me who doesn't know anything about making these <laughs> boards yeah it was fun to watch and see how it works yeah yeah when i was looking up on how to do this and making my plan on how i was going to try it you know a lot of them use the toner transfer method and that worked for me in the past that's how i did it right. but i think the toner in my new laser printer here must be different or something or maybe it doesn't print as thick or something like that that was failing me and that's why we moved to the laser cutter method which seems to work great and that laser cutter is already given itself up to do extra stuff for us on my <laughs> wife's cosplay stuff and things like that. So that was a, a good buy anyway, despite for this project. Now, wait a minute. Didn't you get it for the cosplay stuff? So it's giving up extra time to work on your stuff. Um, so, yeah. So when we originally were thinking of getting it a couple months ago, it was for cosplay related stuff. And um, when I saw other people using a laser cutter, for making these stuff as well that kind of led to me wanting to get one not just the wife thinking it would be nice to have one for or to be able to use for cosplay stuff so then we pushed gotcha. for it and when we found a remanufactured 10 watt laser cutter for 200 bucks on ebay we, we went and grabbed it so it was, it was a good deal it's kind of hard and, to say no at that point right yeah 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 and i think we got a good unit it's hard to tell i've never had one before so i don't know its flaws it's got a lot of wiggle um in the cut the lines that it cuts and uh, i've kind of been looking into that to see how i can make it operate a little bit you know more true but uh, in the meantime i just been cutting really super slow with it and that kind of gets rid of the wiggle but uh that might be the problem why it uh, was was put up on ebay in the first place i don't know um it is built very similar to our printers so i should be able to fix whatever's wrong with it um the only problem is with the laser cutter is away from the gantry which would be the pivot point for the head there's you know a good 10 inches before you get to the work where it could pivot so any tiny vibrations in there is going to be greatly magnified at the very bottom when our printers everything's a little bit closer to the gantry 
So yeah, I might, if I can't figure it out, I think I could always make some modifications to move the whole laser up closer to the gantry. So the, the exit point of the laser, the pivot point, as close as I can get that to the gantry itself, the less it will wiggle at the bottom. If that is a problem with just the nature of the way it's built or whatever, I don't know. It's something I got to look into more that I haven't yet. So, tie rods. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's uh, the gantry for it is really really shallow. It uh, there's no Z control on this printer that I bought. It's got a manual Z control, so it's only X and Y driven by stepper motors. So everything is like the whole thing is only like six inch, no, maybe eight inches tall. So, yeah, the bars won't really help with that a whole lot. Um, I think it's just that it's mounted clear up, so any movement, you know, is greatly magnified at the bottom where the laser's actually making contact with the material. But uh, Duct tape. <laughs> duct tape. <laughs> but uh, you know, other than that, I'm hoping by next podcast here, I'll have my project finally done and in operation. I mean, I've already got the housing printed for it and everything lines up on it um i just got to finish my problems with the conductivity of my board i mean right before the podcast here i tested it after getting the paint off of it and it seems to be functioning great and uh, i just put some conformal spray on the bottom of the board since i don't have a proper mask i figured i should just spray it with the conformal coating and that will keep the copper traces from oxidizing and it's already soldered and everything. So I'm just going to do that to try to make this iteration of the board work because I don't want to go through and produce another board because 70 more holes and and 70 more pins to solder, it's a lot. So um, Other than that, I, I did some, some printing. Um, I showed you guys a picture. Uh, my wife is doing a costume from Demon Slayer, the little girl that's got the bamboo stick in her mouth. Um, so I went and designed a stick of bamboo. And that's probably the most organic thing I've ever made in SolidWorks. <laughs> it turned out pretty good, I think. It's got a, uh, it's printed in PLA, so I get good quality, you know, uh, appearance on the print. Uh, the wife went and painted it because I didn't have any green PLA, so I just printed it out of the white, and she painted it green. And the paint gives it a little bit more of a differing color instead of the solid color, so it makes it look a little bit more real, which is kind of cool. It's and got then, uh, grains in it. Yeah, she brushed it, so that kind of yeah. gave it that texture. Yeah. Well, That's and the cool. lines would give it grains too, though. Is yeah, but kind of what the, I'm saying. The way I printed it would be in the wrong direction there, because I printed it so that it was coming up vertical, and the grains in in bamboo go or vertically, and I printed it horizontally, the lines horizontally. Anyway, um, yeah, that one turned out pretty good. It's got a TPU bite block in it so that you can grab it with your teeth and hold on to it. Um, kind of looks a little bit more like the uh, the anime does, and that one worked out pretty good. Um, my son had a couple of uh, track pieces that he wanted. He's gotten into those little finger skateboard things, and he wanted some ramps for it. And I told him, you know, I'll print whatever you want if you want to design it in your 3D paint program. And so he tried, and he came back to me and said, it just doesn't do what he wants it to do. And so I told him, okay, well, if you take and draw me a diagram, you know, he's 10 years old or 11 years old. If you draw me a diagram with dimensional measurements, and I gave him my calipers so he can use it for an idea on how big he wants things, um, I will make whatever he draws. 
And uh, so he put something together on paper and I took it into SolidWorks and designed it specifically to his instructions. And he didn't miss anything, so I was kind of proud of him for that. Printed them off out of a three-color changing PLA stuff that uh, we got because Chris's PLA looks so beautiful on the stuff he prints. We got some of that, so I printed it off in that, and uh, and he's been loving that. It came out really nice, too. I love having a 3D printed this kind of stuff with the kids. It's great. Yeah, but, looking at his diagram, he covered everything. Yeah. yeah. E even the... Time the arc it's like an ovoid complex arc and it he got really technical with all those little bits of it that's yeah it's impressive and that was only having to tell him once which i'm quite proud of him for and i think it's sitting down when he sees me do this kind of stuff i've got dimensional measurements all over the parts when i'm designing it Mm -hmm. And he just tried to copy that, I think, but he, he nailed it with exactly what he needs to do. So uh, he wants, he, I mean, 10 year old wants to design roller coasters when he gets older. And that could be a 10 year old dream or whatever, but uh, he's well on his way to, to engineer kind of status, which I would love for him to become an engineer. That would, that's something I would have loved to do growing up, you know, but, uh, but we'll see how that turns out again. He's only 10. So there's a lot of variability now. Yeah, there's plenty of need for options, but I feel like also he's got many more options than any of us really had at his age <laughs> for stuff like this. That's what so, we're supposed to do, right? We just try right. to do better than our parents did for us and not saying anything bad about how our parents did. No, um, they did their best. And, you know, I say that, but my dad brought home Mastercam when I was the same age as your son. Yeah. And that's how I learned the Cartesian plane. It's just, yeah. you know, I, I didn't have a concept of what it could do better at the time. And the 3D print is great for that because you can visualize it and then see the actual thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but we'll see how, where that leads. I think all you can do is just throw options at them and see what sticks, right? Yeah, pretty much. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that, that's been my last couple of weeks here. I apologize for missing last week's podcast. I really had a lot of pent up talking that I needed to do. And now that I'm here, I'm kind of brain dead. So <laughs> never fails, I suppose. As soon as the podcast is over, I'll remember everything I wanted to say, of course. You know, that's how it works. You should write that's it down, like make notes until so then you've got like, you know, like we started trying to do at the beginning. Yeah, with the bullet points. Yeah. Yeah. That way yeah, that is you organize your thoughts and uh, make sure you don't forget to talk about anything that you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, that works. That works. Uh, so I just got word that Chris is actually ill. He's, he's, oh. Uh, so it's not so, so much that he slept in. Us. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. He's got a good excuse. He's not feeling the greatest. And, and there has been a bug going around up here too so i know it passed through our family it's probably something similar to his we both got kids at school and those suckers are little germ factories so kind of like fine. a kind of like a cold except for maybe a little less severe yeah, yeah at, least, at least that's what kind of went through my time a lot of coughing coughing has been really bad but it's the nice productive cough and when we tested for covid it's not covid so it's something else Okay. Yeah, we, we had that going through the condo here, too. I don't go anywhere, yeah. so I blame my wife. 
<laughs> She's the, the, the conveyance of disease. Huh? Yeah, that's how I got COVID three times. <laughs> Was it really three times that you got that crap? Holy All cow. of them after I got the uh, the vaccine, too. Oh, no, boy. one of them was before, two of them after. Really? Yeah, that's not fun stuff. I remember when it passed through our family, it's right before the uh, Omicron variant was, like a week before the Omicron va- variant was announced. And all of our symptoms were very similar to the Omicron. So I think we that's the one we had when it passed through our family. But thankfully, we haven't had it since. And yeah. there were no symptoms that stuck around. It was just, it was kind of a, fever that went through the family it was definitely a lot scarier than the actual disease was in the end so that that was good the one i find interesting is everybody who resisted the uh, vaccine are the ones that are spreading it now yeah like big time yeah it was really hard not to say i told you so when i heard about it yeah we got to figure out a different way to deal with with them and they got to figure out a different way to deal with us because right now they're so polarized. Polarized, it's causing way too many problems. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, we say that, but a hundred years ago, when the Spanish flu was going around, the same, same thing, thing happened. Yeah, exactly. Except thing, for there wasn't right. the technology to push through uh, an antivirus or uh, a vaccine. Vaccine. Right. And so they dealt with it for was it five years? That everyone was kind of terrified of that. So, yeah, um, we've got it much better than we did 100 years ago, but the same political stuff happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's very true. So that's been my world. Um, I think I don't really have it. I'm sure if anything comes up, I'll blur it in during your guys' op- opportunity to talk. So. That's the way it happens usually. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. Kevin, you working on anything this week? I did. So uh, I had mentioned in in the podcast last week that I was going to be printing another rack. So I got that squared away and done. And um, rather this, so the last time I printed these tube racks, I uh, I designed the tabs of the rack pieces and then I said, okay, well, since I said that these tabs are supposed to be two millimeters by one millimeter, that's what I'm going to make the holes for the support pieces on the ends and the sides. And then they ended up not fitting and I had to trim them and stuff. And so this time I printed up uh, the rack pieces and then I got my caliper out and measured the uh, the size of the, the slots, the dimensions there. And the uh, went into FreeCAD and made the proper adjustments. And, well, it uh, it goes together a lot easier when the holes are big enough and right. you don't have to trim the things. So I made another tube rack. And, um, and then I also had attempted printing the uh, Headless Horseman that I made on TitanCraft. I did that twice. Uh, the first attempt... Um, there was uh, no body on on the thing, so like you, you've got the horseman on the horse, and there was there was just no no human form on the horse, and the horse was missing everything from the neck up. That becomes a problem. So, yeah. w- w- was it a torsoless horseman at that point? 
Um, like, were the legs still there? I think the legs were there, yeah. So it's a torso-less horseman? Yeah. On a headless horse? Yeah. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So so I went into Chitu Box, and I made some adjustments, and I, I tried printing again. And this time, um, it was largely successful the the horse was mostly there but on on one side there was a big chunk missing from the body of the horse and one of the legs was missing from the horse and uh there was more of the horseman's body on the horse but still not complete so uh just before we got going i uh adjusted more so i usually have when i set these things up in the slicer i usually have them uh so their back is angled toward the uh build plate so that the supports are along the back side not the front side so that any bumps left over from where the supports separate from the model are hidden but that's i would but I was looking at things, and um, you know, the, with this horse, it's actually I made it a nightmare. So it's got flames coming up around the backs of its hooves, and the uh, the mane is not hair; it's fire. The tail is fire, and uh, the the horseman is carrying a flaming sword. And everything, and I thought, you know, with all this fire and the spikes from the fire that are actually the the flames, it would make a lot more sense, I think, to have this angled forward instead of backward. And so that's what I did. I set it up so it's angled forward, and I'm going to, um, I'm, I'm, I've got it printing right now. So just so it's up. less complex where it's trying to hold on. That makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah, and I, and I also noticed that part of the problem, I think, is that um, Chitu Box is really good at making the supports curve around the uh, the model so that they're not touching it as much as possible, um, and so it's got kind of a large base on this, and so Chitu Box had these long, long supports coming around the base at an angle and i think what was part of part of the problem here is that um the uh the angle of it there's there's some springiness to the support so it's not going to be as effective at holding on to the cured resin as it pulls from the fep because there's going there's too much give and so i think sure. that was also having a huge effect on things until it just ultimately failed. And so I went in and I um, changed as many of those supports as the program would let me to being straight up and down so that they're coming off of the base and just going straight up so that they're going, they're, they're not going to have as much springiness to them. Right. So I think that will help. Is there a way with Chitu Box to do the, uh, maximum angle of your supports like there is with Cura? Oh, there probably is. I wonder I, how much looking into that might be worth your time. I think probably quite a bit, actually. Right. I would give you more options to have it automatic instead of having to go in and affect each one manually. 
Right. And the other thing is, like I said, I changed as many of the supports as the program would allow to do that. There were some that it's like, no, you do not get to move this one onto the base. This oh, one really? is central. <laughs> you don't get to touch this one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jeez. That's funny. I can't wait till I can get into that with you as far as using uh, that particular slicer. I still got a lot of projects in the way before I get out the SLA printer, though. Yeah. And then I I keep meaning to tell my sons. He's my younger son, um, Kyle, likes to he, he's dead set on making games, which is great. Like I say, yeah. more power to you. Um, but like, for example, a couple Christmases ago, all he wanted for Christmas was um, some thicker board like you might use for framing a photograph or mounting a photograph okay. so that he could make his own game. And I keep meaning okay. to tell him that uh, he can feel free to use either of my pre printers for making game pieces. And, okay. I've, and I've got uh, a whole bunch of STLs. And um, like I backed a project on Kickstarter weeks ago called uh, Meeplify, where it's just got a whole bunch of different printable meeples. Okay. I need to tell him, yeah, go ahead, make your game. Yeah. Right? And he's he's made a dice game even that he wanted to make cards and he couldn't figure out a way to do it for free. Because he's like, all the card making things that I've found are um they they want you to pay for it and I don't want to have to pay for something because it was expensive and stuff. And I was like, dude, Excel or Google Sheets. Cardstock. Yeah, get or, some uh, photo stock. paper. Yeah, get some cardstock or photo paper and then go into Excel and you can make your card template and then do front and back and there you go. Well and, yeah. and that's how we did our card game way back in the day is printed it on was it cardstock andy or was it the photo paper i don't um, even remember now yeah we used cardstock for it originally and then we wound up going all out when because it was really turning into a fun game that we were using a lot and uh i got some uh an, an a laminator and gotcha, ran them yeah. through that yeah uh for anybody listening what we did is we basically built our own expansion pack for uno <laughs> and we called it two and yeah. basically would you say we doubled the size of a standard uno deck yeah and it was nothing but inside jokes for us and it was a it was a <laughs> great game for us and looking back on it now whenever we would like sit down and try to show someone else how to play it i really it was so complex their confusion <laughs> yeah because it wouldn't be fun because you're like you're missing all of the inside stuff that made it what it was but yeah it was a great game and nothing more than an excuse to sit around and talk and hang out but uh yeah oh yeah still got it somewhere and chris's family got really into the all the different kinds of unos that there are out there and, and it, it you sent me the uh, you sent me the files for it at some point i was going to play with it and see if i could print uh -huh. off my own copy um but yeah i'd have to look back over like each one to even know how to play it too it was so complicated and and i don't feel like we ever really documented the different rules at least yeah. not well 
like I know the eights had rules, like some of them would, everybody would pass their hand to the left or everyone would pass their hand to the right. And yeah. Special time. reasons for someone to draw cards or discard all but one. And <laughs> yeah, it was good. And we did have a balanced well balance. Yeah, it yeah. was well balanced. It, it, you could win randomly. Uh, two hands after you had the most cards at the table. And <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, right? And oh. we would play usually about six of us, right? We, we would like play easily Quite for good. an hour and only get like two rounds in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the conversation would just take over and we'd have to figure out, okay, whose turn was it again? Who went last? Yeah. <laughs> there was that aspect of it too. But that was the point in the end yeah it was the company not the game right mm -hmm. but still fun making your own games uh, it's great yeah. that he's uh getting into that it'd be like you say it'd be nice if he take advantage a little bit more of what you're giving him option wise to do it with but uh well i think like i said a lot of that is lack of information because i i keep meaning to tell him by the way you have this at your disposal feel free yeah I imagine at some point he already kind of intuits it too. He's just not sure where he wants to use it because. Well, I haven't told him that I have access to all these Meeple STLs. Wow. Well, there's that. Um, I was just thinking, you know, your other son spent so much time utilizing the resources. I don't think that your younger son would feel left out necessarily. I know I expect he would ask rather than just fume about he doesn't have access to you know oh yeah he would definitely ask um if it occurred to him that he had that. that option available it has to occur to him first yeah fair and and he's he's got adhd and so you know his <laughs> he's he'll sometimes be hyper focused on it and but not only is he hyper focused on getting the game made, he he'll be hyper focused on the way he thinks it needs to be done, and so he doesn't really think of alternatives. Yeah. Little details become super important. Yeah, that's fair. True, true. Well, what about you, Frank? What have you been up to? Um, well, last week, Andy, uh, you asked before we started, and maybe there was one thing I. Struggled with the under extrusion with the PETG. Yes. And then I slowed it down to 20 millimeters per second and yes. got a really good solid print from that dragon from my mother-in-law, which she okay. absolutely loved. That's great. Um, and then I switched to my PLA and was fighting it for until yesterday. Okay. And um, I finished up the spool. It was still under extruding. It was irritating as hell. And I opened my last box of the PLA. And it's like, this is darker than what I've been working with. Have I been trying to take my crappy spool of gray and make it work without realizing that it's the crappy spool? <laughs> oh, so I, dug, I dug into my buckets and it's like no i have a whole nother spool of what's supposed to be the good pla okay and i need to start back from zero because i've changed all kinds of stuff trying yeah. to get this other one to work 
And with all of my updates to Marlin and all that, I really kind of feel the need to recalibrate from zero. Yeah, that sounds and, good. And um, so I'm back to that. I'm recalibrating everything from zero. Okay. <laughs> that's trying to that's get this, great to uh, hear because this is a problem that needs to be fixed. I mean, it's affecting your ability to print and just finding what is wrong so that you can fix it is like the major part of the whole and thing. And all of the calibration specs on it, like I can't go any higher. Mm -hmm. I tried um, a temperature tower starting at 260 and yeah. it gets like two layers and then it heat stops. So I can't go any higher. Uh, the 250 is, you know, the, the max temperature I can get there. And I wasn't getting good prints at lower than 250. Okay. So like, and then my, uh, my flow is so hot, but then too, you were saying that your temperature was about 10 degrees off anyway. Huh. Yeah. I, I, I still haven't been able to find a way to fix that. You might uh, have so, to swap out your thermal resistor. Yeah. I, I'm to the point of looking at new thermistors and, um, if I'm going to do that, I almost just want to buy the whole new hot end. It's and worth uh, it. heat exchanger. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen some that are like 20 bucks and some of them that come with the uh, dual gear Swiss uh, dual gear extruder. And they're like $90 that I don't have. Um, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> uh, so I, I was tending kind of that way. And then I realized that I was using the crappy spool. Okay. And so I'm going to see if I can get this dialed in and just acknowledge that my uh, my hot end is going to be off until I can either get it calibrated correctly or uh, get it replaced. Well, that, that's um, one thing on Merlin that I think they they like are just going off of the specs of the thermal resistor itself. I don't think mm -hmm. there really is much of a calibration for the thermal resistor. Which I mean, I wish you there can, was. A, I wish there was a way to fix that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And like in my projects and stuff, there's a lot of variables that goes into the resistance from it. I mean, even the length of wire is going to change the resistance on the resistor. Right. So you should have to have a way to calibrate it, even if it's just something as simple as an offset. Right. But, if I could set the offset, if I could offset my nozzle temperature by that 10 yeah. degrees, then I would have at least a more precise uh, yeah. temperature zone. Um, and, you know, I, I've got the code. I, I mean, I guess I could dig into it and see what my options are there. Um, because the profiles for the, the thermistor have got to be based off of something. Maybe there's something I can tweak in there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you got the, the like you say, you got the, the code for it. So you could just, I mean, even as far down as the actual analog read on the pin, you can adjust it from there if you really needed to. But knowing Marlin, it's got to be there. It's got to be buried in there somewhere. It's too complete of a package to not right. have that, I think. Right. Um, well, and maybe it's just something that they haven't encountered often enough to justify building in the feature, you know, maybe. going from 1.2 to 2.2 gave me all kinds of options that I don't think were even 
available with yeah. one. So I agree. Um, I still haven't changed mine. I, I know I said I was going to that last couple podcasts ago, and I want to, but I, yeah, I haven't done mine either. Moved up to the 2.2. I'm still rocking 2.1. So, well, and or 2.0, excuse me. And you got 2.1, right? Is that what it was? Yes, it's point one. Like You're right. Um, and honestly, since I got a good build on there, I've only been changing quality of life stuff. Like there's the, uh, they've added the option for custom scripts. Okay. And the only one that I use is the park script. Okay. And I had to choose a good position for the nozzle to end. It's like, why don't I just put it where I like to stop it when I'm changing the nozzle or the filament or something like that, which is right in the middle of the Y. Okay. No, the, the middle of the X and about halfway up on the build volume. Okay. And that way I've got good, you know, access to the bottom and it's in a good place for me to feed in the new filament. Okay. Um, and then just recently, I decided to have it put the build plate all the way forward so I could access it without messing with the gantry. Um, nice. Or, you know, turning off the, the steppers and then manually moving it. Oh, got um, you into that doing too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's a good point. You know, I, if I'm not manually moving it, then I'm not um, wearing out the gears or the the motors mm -hmm. because it, it's not much right but when it happens often enough it has a cumulative effect i think it'd be more damaging to the belts than the motors those motors are just inductors with a bearing in the middle of it it's they're so simple they those stepper motors can in, can deal with a huge amount of heat a huge amount of cold they're so resistant i don't think you'd hurt the motor Okay, so from the motor to the nozzle, th there's something that's going to wear out, though. Yeah. And when it, it's yeah. working the way it's designed to, it's going to wear out a little bit slower. Yeah, Ideally. you got a point, because when you pull it on the belt, you are pulling on the shaft itself. You're pulling the shaft towards it, so you are putting more of a pressure on the bearing in the motor. So you, I agree, you actually probably could do more damage to the bearing. It might be minuscule amount, but I bet there is more wear by doing it by hand than running it on, on its own. And just the cumulative effect, that's what we're trying to, what I'm talking about, trying to um, cancel out. So, yeah. I mean, it's going to break. The belt is going to break before the motor. It's going mm -hmm. to wear out. But if I can make it last as long as possible, then uh, everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do have to replace the motor, they're not exactly expensive. You know, NEMA There's 17s are one of the cheapest steppers you can buy. So, um, I'm a cheap bastard, though. I don't want to spend money if I don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> in, in some ways. I, I say that and think back. I did some frugal things that you thought were weird, and you always did frugal things, and then spent money that I thought was weird, and that's yeah, the human well, condition, think. right? I agree. It's it's and it's all our uh, based on our skill levels too. Like uh, example, this uh, this last weekend, I decided we were going to get the windows redone on the house, and I'm going to pay somebody to come do it because I don't trust myself doing windows. 
I'm sure Chris would turn his nose up at that idea really quick because he's got that skill and knows how much money I'd be wasting doing that. So it's all about your your skill level, I think, when it comes to and how much money you're willing to spend on stuff like I that. I say skill level, and lately I've been appreciating interest in doing. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, th there's a lot that I feel like I can do. Like I can figure it out okay. and a lot that I go, that's just another thing on the list. Do I really want to put this on the list or should I just buy it? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you. My whole circuit board thing has been kind of along that whole thing. I could just purchase the boards and have them made for me, but it's kind of like I want that skill. That's when I'm willing to spend the effort to learn, but then a lot of other things, no. I ain't going to sit here with a pair of needle nose pliers to do those plugs. I'm just going to blow the money on a tool that will do it for me. Well, and so you get into uh, the specialization bit, but if you did the design and sent it in and had to wait for two weeks for the turnaround just to learn that your design was bad. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Like with the, the, the bridge that you were talking about, then you've got to redesign and then wait another two weeks for six boards just to find yeah. out that it's still the wrong design, maybe. You know? You got a point. You got a very good point. And doing it this way, you can iterate and you can learn, maybe not use that paint anymore. <laughs> and once you get the good design, like we've talked before, then if you decide to go into production with it, if you were to make that decision, then you could pay somebody else to build the boards for relatively inexpensive. Yeah, all the and got worked out. know that they would work. Yeah, you got a good point. Yeah, it's definitely uh, which battles you want to choose to be chief on and which ones you don't. One thing that's good about us is we actively make that decision to be mm -hmm. cheap where we can, so that we can splurge where we feel the need to. And I think that's great. You don't. Uh, that's in itself. I think is a a money skill as an adult, you know, that you don't I, see a I lot agree. of other people have. I mean, yeah. I remember being told very young, the best way to save money is to spend less than you make. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. How yeah. do you do that? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the challenge. And nobody can tell you which way will work better for you because nobody knows, including you. So you got to. Right gain the experience yeah. yeah exactly actually uh my wife and i were talking this morning about biohacking i'm reading a a book from a guy um the book is bulletproof diet okay he's got some kind of far out ideas that i may or may not actually like uh using butter in coffee um oh, that'd be weird <laughs> it, it was weird for him I haven't gotten to that point in the, the story yet, but, you know, he, he prequeled it. And uh, he was on a, it's not a safari, he was on, in South America. And they brewed the coffee and then they put yaks, butter in it. Okay. Yaks, some animal. Okay. Um, they, they put butter in it and he was resistant the same way I am and the same way you are. Yeah. And then he drank it and he's like, this is amazing. So. <laughs> Gotta admit, it's not something I've ever tried. Hmm? What was that, Kev? Butter makes everything better. That's wrong. true. Um, actually, a big thing about this 
diet is uh, because so many of the proteins and hormones in our body are actually built off of fat molecules. It's better to consume the good fats mm-hmm. than it is to remove them all from your diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, he actually tried to do the bad diet with, you know, lots of animal fats and proteins and all that. Mm-hmm. And he did it for, I think he said the initial experiment was supposed to be two months. And he mm-hmm. ended up doing it for two years because he kept losing weight. Mm-hmm. Um, it was expensive. I mean, <laughs> when you're buying the high uh, fatty meat, it, mm-hmm. you know, beef and steak and all that is not cheap. So, no. yeah. Um, anyway, how did I get here? Biohacking. Yeah. Um, there's neural hacking, I'm sure, would be uh, a subcategory of that where you're experimenting and figuring out how to do the thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And the only way you're going to do that is by experimentation and experience because I can't give you my brain, you know? You're not going to learn from every little iterative, iterative decision that I've encountered in the way that I have. That is true. Right. But yeah. Um, back to what I did this week, real quick. Yeah. I designed a little while ago. I've got this little Nerf uh, six shooter. <laughs> okay. And um, it's from their zombie apocalypse. I can't even remember. Anyway. Um, I got it at work a while ago. Tech companies like to play with Nerf guns. Yeah. Just to keep the edge off of the uh, office. Um, so I got it eight years ago or so. Uh-huh. And about a year ago, I started thinking, hey, I would like to have a holster for this because I also have a Nerf rifle and I don't want to carry him one in each hand, right? Yeah. So I designed the shape for me to just drop the pistol into and um, didn't, you know, I got distracted by other projects. Well, this year for Halloween, I basically committed to the idea of doing a uh, steampunk costume. Oh, fun. Um, I've got an old uh, top hat that I got from the the Halloween store. It's got the... It's got goggles on it and some gears, but it works real good with the uh, steampunk theme. Okay. And then if I have this pistol, that'll be, you know, night add to that little Western aspect to it. Yeah. And um, my wife's grandfather served in World War II, and I inherited his trench coat, his green oh. woolen trench coat. Oh, so nice. I'm going to wear it. And, uh, you know, with the beard and the, uh, I'll do the handlebar mustache and all that. I think fun costume. Definitely. Um, if I can get the, the pistol holster to work in the next 10 days. <laughs> the image that you showed of it so far looked like it was lining up well on the gun itself. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, first, uh, the first print, I actually, it was from the crappy plastic. Okay. And um, I accidentally pushed the gun through it. <laughs> oh. But I do have 
the outside of the frame here. It does kind of look like you were printing with a flow rate of like 20% on it. <laughs> and it's just the outside. Okay. So it's actually going to, this was just an interference print and it's actually supposed to come up to about the, the pistol loop or the, okay. the trigger loop. Okay. But uh, just to get all the, the shapes where they were supposed to be, it fit great. Yeah. Until I started messing with it and broke off the bottom part. Um, yeah. That's a great use of that material to kind of use it up and to use it as interference fit material. Yeah, if only I had done that on purpose. <laughs> Looking at this, though, now, maybe I can take off that bottom part and just have the, the tip of the thing sticking oh, through. Tip of the gun sticking through? That was That'd make accident, it look kind of cool. But it could work. Yeah, that, that's how accident. that's how a lot of stuff ends up, huh? Yeah. Oh yes, that's my life. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um, I wish I could do more on purpose. <laughs> Don't we all? Hey, at least being able to recognize when a whoopsie is a good thing is a skill on its own. Indeed, it is. Oh. actually, that's where my joke. You guys have all heard me use it at least once where uh, something will happen and it's amazing. And I look at you and go, now do it again on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no kidding. Because the fluke is awesome. But when you can do it on purpose, that is kind of amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. That's why I admire like gymnasts and all that, because they live in a world of chaos that is on purpose. And it just. That's a good one blows my mind yeah um yeah anyway that's that's what i did this last week any plans for the upcoming week um mostly just trying to finish this holster and get my uh my printer calibrated on the correct pla (laughs) (laughs) that'll be good it would be nice to be able to see if you print reliably for a while probably make you feel like you've got your printer back once you figured that out too yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a couple of things that I did find on Thingiverse, like uh, Halloween, kind of Halloween anyway, um, models. Uh, okay. There's one that's a skull, but it's got like a, an octopus tentacles coming up from underneath it and wrapping around it. Oh, I thought cool. that was cool. That'd be fun for Halloween. Yeah. Um, I found a few more. That's the one that stands out, though. I haven't gone back to look at them since I realized where I aired. Okay. My focus I shifted. Actually, I actually went through Thingiverse the other day here. Um, one of the housings I was going to build, I, I didn't want to, it was just a clamshell housing for a project. I didn't want to screw together. I was looking for other ways people have, you know, locked clamshell pieces together. And so I went to Thingiverse and looking up, you know, project boxes and things like that. How did other people do some of this kind of stuff? And I did find one that was really neat that I wound up using on my um, fish tank fan project today that uh, I I think I'm going to use more often. And that was the screen, my screen mounting up to the face of the the lid of the, the box. Okay. And um, the way you did it is a, uh, a, a track right below the screen that can slide out a plate of plastic that can hold the, the screen into place. Kind of hard okay. to 
to describe. But uh, you guys can see that I got this this plate okay. that slides in place behind the screen that holds the mm -hmm. screen in place. Uh -huh. But uh, that made it so I don't have to glue anything in to be able to hold the, the screen in place. And I thought that was a really kind of a neat way to uh, to handle mounting that particular that's piece. The, that's the same way I did the toolbox for my um, micro screwdrivers. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like that. I think I'm going to going to put that method in the old toolbox of ways to be able to put those together but as far as mounting the boxes together um i still wound up just going with the screw mount design you can kind of see here i got the lid and the screw holes that you could just screw it together with yeah um but uh i was hoping to come across a, a little bit of a different way to do it that was easy to design clips and things can be a little bit hard to design because they're you know, their interference fit, so you really got to print out examples, testing the clips and things like that. It would be nice just to have a it-just-works way of doing it. But um, um, Like the slide lid. Now, I, I raw designed everything, and I didn't test it until I actually had it all out. And yeah. I probably spent, I don't know, an hour and a half, maybe two cleaning yeah. and shaping that lid so that it would have just the right resistance. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And um that was preventatively expensive to me. Yeah, yeah. That was a lot of time for that stupid little lid. Um but it's also thick. I that lid is three millimeters thick and it looks like yeah. the lid that you created is maybe one. I made it two layers thick. Okay, <laughs> so, so 0.4 millimeters, yeah. Almost a half a millimeter. That, that's tiny. There's so much, or so little surface area for it to drag on. Plus, mm -hmm. it'll flex a lot easier than my lid would. Yes, <laughs> so, exactly, yeah. The one I designed um, was meant to flex because it was meant to hold pressure against the circuit right. board. So I did build it to to be able to do that the track is extra deep so that if it gets pushed out it can you still have There's, track to be in yeah. and things like that but but yeah the one you did is i mean even though they're the same kind of concept yours is very different from the little one i did here and, and yours does need to have a better fit it's very rigid yeah, yeah. um yeah. and just sliding it, it didn't slide very well at first so i like i said i spent a lot of time on that yeah. And I also didn't know as much. If I was to redesign it now, I'd probably design it differently now that I think yeah. about it. I could see that. Um, I also like when you make tracks like that, you can get away with the, if you're printing it so it's up, the upper track, you can chamfer at a pretty good angle. So you still don't need supports on the track, and it will still give you that, that fit if you chamfer mm -hmm. the the lid as well and it looks good when the lid's out to see that chamfer even though it's more of a uh, not a cosmetic thing it's a way to get around not using supports for the track i'd hate have to dig supports out of a track like that oh that would be a nightmare yeah and well i i'm not afraid of supports and maybe that should have changed my mind but it didn't <laughs> I know for most of the stuff I do, I, I typically just use screws. It's easy enough in the CAD software to put the pieces together um, in mm -hmm. CAD and make the screw holes and mounts at the same time with the pieces already together. 
So yeah. everything already is lining up and, and working out that way. And that way you don't need an interference fit print, um, especially if you use like the same kind of screws. I've got three different kinds of screws I use for everything. And I've got and I went and I took those screws and I figured the best size and interference fit for them. So I know how to design other things. So I know exactly how big to make the part that the threads get cut into or how big to make it. So it, the shank of the screw fits through without friction. And, and if I'm burying the screw into something, how big to make the hole for the head and all that kind of stuff. And so now whenever I use anything, I just put those numbers in and it's good to go. You know, I don't have to worry about figuring that stuff out. But I, I do remeasure work. every time myself, but you remember the uh, the mounting block for my uh, proximity sensor on the f uh, filament? Yes, yes. That looked that, great. That was all very much the same idea. Yeah. And now that I think about it, I designed it so it had to be assembled a certain way so that the mm -hmm. screws would not interfere with it. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a good one. That is true. That is true. And, um, God, being able to do stuff in CAD too is, saves you a lot of time. Uh, let me oh, yeah. point out one of the things that, that I did. So my box here, um, has just a very flat lid and the screw holes are near the top of the box mm -hmm. and they don't go all the way down the, um, they're, they're sitting up near the surface. And then at the bottom of the box, I got more screw holes to hold the circuit board. Sorry, I got garbage in this box here. But um, when I was building this box, I built a piece that looked like my circuit board so that I, in, in the extremes of the, the, the height of the components and the size of the board, so I could make sure that I could fit the board in between the, the top ones and the bottom ones and still be able to get it in place. And so I sat for a minute in CAD with um, uh, an option turned on so pieces. You, so when you move pieces against each other, they collide and mm -hmm. tried to wiggle this piece in place to see if I could, in fact, actually fit it in there with all the stuff it needs to go through. Because it needs to go in at a funky angle to actually get in there and achieving all of that in CAD software before you ever print anything, I'm sure saved me many iterations time. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm I, sure I preach I preach making assemblies a lot when you're designing your own stuff and test fitting things in assembly mode as well as making the components that you're interfering with in the design as well so that you can make sure that those are lining up. Because if they don't, either the part you designed that you aren't printing is wrong or the part you are printing is wrong. But either way, it's a red flag to saving yourself from an iteration and wasting plastic and filling up the landfills and whatnot. And that's really the wonderful thing about all this awesome technology that we have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah think back yeah. to uh blacksmiths i'm sure iterated a lot to get good fits on anything probably yeah it definitely makes sense why it took us so long to start doing um line work like uh well, what's that called production lines mm -hmm. there's a word for that what, what am i missing we started doing it when we started making cars down here and it kind of changed everything the production lines. Um, yeah, assembly. Assembly lines. Assembly lines, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it makes sense why it took us so long to develop that method of building stuff because you can't make the same thing identical every single time like that. You do have to, like you say, the blacksmith would have to come out and occasionally 
reshape a small part of it or something because it's not fitting right or something, you know. Well, and the concept for that was interchangeable parts back before the American Revolution. We just yeah. couldn't deploy it the way we do now mm -hmm. because we've got such wide-reaching standards on all of these things like screw sizes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, I had a weird thought that I wanted to research yesterday that I never did, and that was how do they create screws for that have like um, torque screws and Allen wrench screws? How do they create the head hole? I don't know how they do that. With Phillips and and flatheads, I thought they just cut cut the screw. Um, I I highly doubt they have a die that they're forging it in. I'm pretty certain it's just squished into the shape, and then they they cut the the slots for it. With, with the Phillips head, it. with the Phillips head, most of those are recessed and they don't go to the edge. I would expect that to be cast in oh, or dyed. Um, with a flat head, you're right. You know, you just cut into it. Mm -hmm. um, I imagine with the the hex. It's the same idea, or the Torx even. Because oh, it would be really hard to machine all those little things right. on the inside of that hole. Yeah I, yeah. I expect it's either cast or died. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just one of those little things where you're just sitting there doing uh, some project or whatever, and you just kind of realize, huh, I have no idea how they do this. <laughs> figure that out. Kind of just for my thing. own curiosity. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I don't know how they make screws. Gonna have to do that. Like, I'm sure they cut the threads, or the threads are casted and they're sharpened with, you know, cutting or whatever. But the heads, they got me a little confused. I like that kind um, of curiosity. I hope that kind of curiosity never leaves. My I, wife got me a shirt that says, "I'm not procrastinating. I'm on side quests." <laughs> <laughs> I like that one a lot. Yes, that's my life. Period. Nothing but a side quest. <laughs> well, it's like uh, the side quest I went on changing the uh, clutch out of my car. Okay. Got it to the point where all but the driver's side axle was out of the transmission. Okay. And couldn't figure it out. Chris couldn't figure it out. We tried slide hammer, prying, and it was loose in the... Uh, um, What's it called? Yeah, but the differential has a uh, a socket on it, and then there's a three socket or a three thing that goes into mm -hmm. that part of the differential. That's yeah. what we needed to get out, but because it was designed to be flexible so that your tire could bounce, yeah, we couldn't get it out, and mm -hmm. um, didn't want to. I mean, I tried to take off the boot, and it wouldn't get through the boot. Okay, yeah. So we tried prying and all kinds of stuff. It wasn't coming out. So we decided, oh, well, let's try to push it out the other side. Well, the differential has a rod that goes right through the middle of it. Okay. So that the spider gear is the yeah. same on both sides, right? And so what we ended up doing was we bought some steel pipe from the hardware store. And created a push bar that went around that pipe or that, yeah. that bar inside to push out the other 
um, the other drive the other shaft. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. It, it's a CV yeah, joint. The TVI, and so. that was such a pain in the butt. But yeah. <laughs> talk, talk about side quests. I'm, I'm no stranger to side quests. I like them sometimes. <laughs> My wife doesn't like them because it means that I take three days to do a job that should take an hour. But uh, <laughs> what was it that Malcolm in the Middle had it where he was asked to change a light bulb. And by the end of all the side quests, he's like, what, doing some work on the car, I think it was, or something like that. that. Chris is the one who remembers it better than anyone, and I think he was working on the car. Yeah, and she says, I thought I told you to change the light bulb. And he says, what does it look like I'm doing? And he's working on the car. (laughs) It makes perfectly sense, perfect sense. But yeah, How he got there, (laughs) because you saw how he got there, it makes sense. Right. On the other hand, it sounds like you're living in the, uh, what is that? song and there's a hole in the bucket there okay, lies yeah. it because it, it's just a circular issue I, I did this to fix this and then I did this to fix that and then I did this other thing to fix this other thing and I'm all the way back around to I need this thing to work so that I can fix the thing to fix the thing to fix the <laughs> other thing to fix the hole in the bucket right yep, yep. <laughs> that is the way some of these projects go that's for sure yeah and that's when you you, you just spend the money to buy a new bucket right yep yep it's less expensive than the yaks it's less expensive than the yaks yes another one of my favorite quotes though speaking of all this is um ladies look when a man says he's going to do something he's going to do it there's no reason to remind him about it every six months <laughs> <laughs> i like that <laughs> Isn't that one of Chris's shirts? I swear I saw him wearing that shirt. I I think that's one of Chris's shirts. One of my favorites from Chris, I believe. Yeah, that's definitely something I could see him wanting to own for sure. (laughs) Don't have to remind me every six months. His his honeydew list is longer than mine will ever be. Yeah, he's got an infinite one. Everybody gives that poor guy so much stuff to do. And that's with him learning how to say no in the last decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's definitely made a lot of progress in, in that. Yeah. That's for sure. Because people just used to just, just straight up take advantage of the poor guy. Yeah. Well, that that's why I liked being around. If he ever called me to help him, I was happy mm-hmm. to help him because I knew if I didn't, he was going to do it alone. Yes, yes. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. And whenever anybody was talking about asking Chris for help or something like that, you always had to remind them, hey, well, make sure, you know, ask him what he's got going on first before you put more on his plate. Because, you know, he's so capable and skilled. He's got a skill that none of us have. Yeah. We made the point that he's the peacemaker. He's in the middle of like seven kids. (laughs) Is it seven? Anyway. He's got a huge family. Yeah. Yeah. So he's accustomed to being the peacemaker and those of us who love him and care about him are trying to block. So that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we've all seen him lose his mind and it's mm-hmm. scary. It's yes. terrifying. Don't want to make that guy mad. That's for sure. No, but he's really hard to get to that point too. So it is. It... I admire how hard it is to get him to that point. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah there's there's a lot of 
personal skill. Like even you guys go like it'd be nice if you could take some of those natural uh, social things people do and acquire them. Like like my my wife is just easy flowing with things. The house could mm-hmm. be on fire and she'll say, "Okay, this is our new normal. This is what we're going to do with it now." It's that whole this is our new normal. I I cannot do. I will sit and fester on what used to be, you know, or what options. Why is my house burning down? I I need to cook dinner tonight. Yes, yes, exactly. And she's like, okay, well, our house is on fire now. So let's, uh, this is our options now and and be happy. Let's get everybody out of here. (laughs) Yeah, instead of like reminiscing on what the loss is. And I admire that. I wish I could just grab that and put it in my own brain because, you know, I, I suffer from, from struggling through that kind of stuff. And she just gets it so easy and just wish she could just pull some of that stuff out. I wish I had Chris's patience with people and, and things like that. And the automotive skill that guy has. Oh, I wish oh, I could cram that I, in there. Man. He's got the experience though. We, we've talked about experience as well. And he, he's the one that put the cycles into experience in cars mm-hmm. while the rest of us were figuring out our lives. Yep. Doing <laughs> other things, that's for sure. But uh, some of them even valuable. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit here and there, I think might have been worth it. But yeah, we have talked about it. I know he admires us for our own things that we do that he wishes he. Would. So there's that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Everybody's got their own set of skills. I would <laughs> love if I had the or- organic property mind that Kevin's got for doing models and things. That would be great. And colors. Oh, let's talk about mixing colors now. <laughs> That's just something I just cannot grasp. Speaking of colors, it was weird. I looked at the dress mm-hmm. recently. The colors were okay. different. Oh, you seeing the blue and black or the gold and white now? I, I was seeing gold and white before. Now I see blue and black, or at least at the time I did. I went back and looked at it again recently since then. Mm-hmm. And I'm back to gold and white. So whatever it was, really? yeah, I wish I could make myself see the difference. Yeah, that is weird. That is weird. And, you know, even when that whole thing was going on, I was like sitting there pulling the colors out in, in paint, you know, and just looking at the colors themselves, saying even in not relation to any other colors on the picture, it mm-hmm. still looked blue and black to me. But then, too, it's like when you when you're thinking of like a negative film mm-hmm. it's it's neat when you can see that and you might be seeing a totally different color but your brain knows what those colors are actually being in the real world and so that's what you're perceiving than the actual colors on the paper I don't know, that whole thing was weird um still well, weird i did like how we did the uh the analysis you took the eyedropper tool from mm-hmm. yeah and uh the now for one and i think a lot of people forgot this the only photo i can find of this mm-hmm. is flared out like the the levels are all goofed up yes the background is barely discernible it's super bright you're not going to find a good photo of this dress yeah um looking at it i was seeing the golden white and when you did the eyedropper we determined that the computer said it was closer to gold. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, because the computer doesn't have an opinion, 
<laughs> yeah. We de we decided that there was a more correct conclusion about it. But you know, we put it down almost the same time as the whole rest of the world did and moved on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It stopped being an issue. Yeah. Um yeah, just curiosities with color and realizing that a lot of it is just how your brain interprets the color. Yes. Um, I like the uh, the description of we're all living in the most realistic haptic feedback virtual reality. <laughs> okay. And we're just a brain inside of a, a meat machine that gets all that <laughs> haptic feedback, right? Yeah. And all that information is processed by, well, they found neurons in stomachs, so not just your brain, but um, yeah. but your your neural cortex is processing all of this information. Oh no, that's not your neural cortex. That's a different part of the brain. Neural cortex is decision stuff. Anyway, um, no more than I about this. But the the like all of our nerve endings are just you know, uh, uh, limit switches that send information yeah. to our brain. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, our optical sensors can be damaged, but, you know, for the most part, people see some iteration of three colors. <laughs> yeah. <for the> <laughs> mixed part, together. Kind of. Yeah. Um, and some of us are lucky to see better detail, generally women, when mm -hmm. it comes to color. Um, and some of us require special glasses to see any more than one or two. So I always found those those uh, those glasses really neat that to separate the what is it red and green more, um, so that they can differentiate between the two. And that, I think that's it, just I think it needs to be dialed in depending on where you're colorblind. Yeah, 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 yeah. But just the, um, the more the higher separation between the two colors could suddenly like give you color vision again that's just crazy another one of the interesting things it's kind of neural and kind of not but uh they have an apparatus that blind people can put in their mouth and oh, it'll yeah, i've seen that yeah it'll uh activate different parts of the tongue depending on what color or shape they're looking at yeah and um they will begin to see because their brain is interpreting that feedback visually. Yes, yes. And that is interesting. Yeah. Brains are it cool. Is a, it's a very unique kind of computer, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I always like it when people try to add add a sense to their themselves, mm -hmm. you know, um, by... Uh, uh, but but tricking their their or using that kind of adaptability in their brain to be able to give themselves a new sense by, like with the tongue, applying those kind of signals to a sensor in the body that is dense enough to be able to, you know, kind of use it as visual data. But then to have the brain actually process it as such is is crazy. I saw this thing where someone had um, magnets. Uh, inserted under the skin. Okay, yeah, that way they could fill magnetic fields. And it was just under their fingertips. 
like and it wasn't very strong like a, a little spring would stick to their finger but much more than that and it's um not really going to hold on very well but it gave them that extra sense of things around them yeah just you know, your normal touch is going to feel a lot anyway, but then they could feel the magnetic field, and that was interesting. Yeah, that, that is that is neat. I'd love to be able to do more stuff like that. Like, I would love to have infrared vision. <laughs> that was a little harder to do. Yeah. Cool, but that would be useful. Well, if we ever figure out how to decode... Or mimic the uh, the messages that go to the brain from the eye. Yeah. If someone loses an eye, they've got a perfect socket there to put in a uh, <laughs> put in an apparatus. And if it, that apparatus can interpret the broader spectrum, there's no reason it can't be sent in a message to the brain. Yeah, just like uh, Jordy from Star Trek. Well. Except for Jordy had X-ray vision thing, and uh, I think most yeah. people would have a problem with that. Yeah, but uh, I mean that's the thing is that it was the device was was the one that was seeing all this and sending and the then sending the message to his brain. Yeah, that his brain could use. Yeah, so that's it's true. not like he was. It's not like he had more visual perception. He probably actually had a little bit less than what would naturally be able to get, but the amount of information, the different kinds of information he could receive from the visor was so much greater than what our eyes can produce. Uh, yeah, he he had to tweak it in one episode, but then he was able to see in infrared and use that to resolve one of the issues that they ran into. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, there was a lot of things that they did with his visor that I always thought was kind of weird. It's like, that's normal technology they should just be able to have something like a flare kind of camera or something, you know, where you're just like looking through it or glasses or something that would just change, you know, it to, you know, whatever you need to see that you can perceive that would be no different than his visor. It's like his visor was something, some kind of special technology that they didn't have access to. And infrared was this, this big ordeal. Um, well, and by the end of the uh, next generation arc, he had, I guess it was a surgery to fix the irises in his eyeballs. So they used the existing eye and added technology there so he didn't need the visor anymore. Yeah. yeah. And, and let's face it, this is because the actor got tired of having this thing clamped to the side <laughs> of his face. Yeah. But, um, yeah. The, the, well, our technology advanced to the point where we could do CGI for anything that needed to be fine detail and then just had him wear contacts otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, well, we have been going for a while and yep. Star Trek right now. To bring it back to 3D printing, I have hmm. referred to my printer as a uh, replicator on occasion. Have you? <laughs> yep. That's what it is. Is It's a proto version of a replicator. I must not be a good enough Trekkie, because when you said replicator, <laughs> the first thing that came to mind is the little tiny robots in Stargate. Yeah, <laughs> it's two different kinds of replicators. The Stargate replicators are terrifying, <laughs> and the uh, 
the Star the Trek country. replicators are still terrifying, but slightly less so. Yeah, well, they're pretty much the entire reason why Earth became a utopia in that series, wasn't it? Because we could, well, yeah. um, the, the process was we developed free energy, and then we figured out how to spend energy on creating food that was edible. Yes. Nutrient that is edible. So it was definitely a step in the process. Yes. But you referred to it as a replicator, huh? Yeah. It's not wrong. It, it's not anything like Star Trek's, but uh, it's pretty damn close. Well, and I I, I do say proto-replicator more than anything. Oh, so it's like, I like that. It, it's on the road to becoming the Star Trek. I can still create whatever I want in it. It just, you know, yeah. isn't the quality of manipulating the atoms exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> No kidding, right? Although we say that, and there are some commercial uh, 3D printers yeah. that basically weld atoms of metal into whatever alloy you decide you want into the shape that you're designing. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So commercially, I mean, those ones are super expensive, but it's doable. Yeah, yeah, we, the, the technology is there to accomplish that. Probably not. You know, we just got to speed it up quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, and it still needs to be centered after it comes yeah. out of the printer. Okay. But just being that close to a workable um, thing is mind-blowing to me. And to have, we, like, if you if you have a device where you need two different kind of alloys of material in two different spaces or, or two different places where a different alloy of material would work better and to be able to have a material that you can create that goes from one type of alloy into another type of alloy. That just that just says strength written all over it and a oh, complete yeah. inability to recycle. <laughs> well, and they do have the option with these to, oh, this I thought this was the alloy I wanted. I need to tweak these two things. Okay. A lower percentage of, you know, gold or whatever, and a higher percentage of iron, and uh, add a little bit of titanium to it, you know. Let's see if this alloy works better. And so they can test stuff like that iteratively. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Kind of terrifying and kind of awesome. Yes, yes, at the same time, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think we should probably call the end of the podcast. Yeah, I think we're approaching our hour and a half mark. That works. Yeah. Yeah, we're pushing it. Um, we'd like to thank everybody for listening to the very end. The very, very end. If you like what you hear, please give us all the stars and subscribe. We are available through a wide variety of podcast vendors, and so we're easy to share. If you have feedback or if you have content requests, please let us know. You can find us in our Facebook group, Amateur 3D Pod. You can also email us at panelists at amateur3dpod.com. Or you can email us individually at Franklin, Kevin, Andy, or Chris at amateur3dpod.com. Kevin Buckner wrote the music for this episode. OpenAI's Whisper completed the heavy lifting for the transcripts, which you can find linked in the description. 
Our panelists are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Kevin Buckner, Chris Weber, and Andy Cottom. And until next time, we're going offline. Keep your FEP tight. Always use hairspray. And I'm still not going to come up with something funny for this one. I couldn't come up with anything either. We miss you, Chris. Send Chris an email saying get better. That's what y'all need to do. That's what he needs to do. Yeah. We need to have some kind of uh, comedic relief. Yes. Yeah. He fits the bill. Definitely.